I'm your host, Kayla Waters, and each week I'm joined by our co-host, Alicia Jenkins, while I share with you my deep dive into a new case. But my mom isn't the only one joining us weekly. We often strive to bring on a special guest, someone close to these cases, the victim's family, experts in the field, the wrongfully convicted, and survivors of violent crime. By sharing a victim's story, we hope to put the pressure on for you to get involved and help make a difference. We present this show to expose the monsters lurking all around us. going to be presented a story that shows just how quickly a case can go cold when vital steps are missed, when assumptions are made and a case is pushed to the side. But you'll also see how strong a mother and daughter bond can be and how hard one daughter will fight for her mom's case to be solved. We also get to see the perseverance of someone who has been through unbelievable trauma and that's something to look up to. So with that, are you ready for today's case? Okay, so starting out, my car got stolen last night, just so everybody knows. (laughs) I am a victim of a petty crime. Oh my gosh. People suck. Like who just goes around stealing a car? But that's not the thing I was really worried about. Honestly, I'm still more worried that some creeper was around my house with a flashlight at 2.30 in the morning. That was probably a few like people yeah Yeah. weird i wonder what they wanted with it i know they rummaged through the car like through the glove box and stuff but there was nothing in there. you didn't have anything in there no i had an old debit card two of them and one of them was gone but i have those aren't my debit cards anymore that's why they were in there (laughs) so good luck with that yeah i had canceled them like before this Hmm. and then yeah all that was in there was my car seats, which is terrifying because now they know I have two kids here and they're creeping around my house in the middle of the night. Like, who does that? Who just steals a car? I don't get it. But and Criminals. Like, yeah, criminals. A, f- a bunch of people messaged me. They're like, they were just trying to get on your podcast. <laughs> One person's like, how ironic you have a true crime podcast and your car got stolen. I'm like, yeah, if oh, only I knew who goodness. it was. Yeah. I'll never know. You won't. All right. So we'll move on and we'll get into this case, which you're the one who wanted us to do this case. She let me know that the Cold Case Coalition in Utah is doing a Cold Case Month. Yeah. In August. Yeah. So she, my mom let me know of a cold case that's there in Utah. And so I kind of looked up just the month that they're doing and all of that stuff and the cold case coalition there is um they've they've been doing this cold case month all through august holding fundraisers and events and it seems like they do really great work they also have a podcast and um it seems that since 2018 they've offered rewards on every cold case in utah that is defined as unresolved for and more than three years old so According to their Facebook page, this makes Utah the only state that has a reward available for every cold case. 
So I thought that was That's pretty, pretty cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So this like Go coalition. Utah. There's I something know. you're good at. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> and they also, along with every cash reward they offer um, in these cases, they say if you bring it, you, you bring a tip that leads to uh, helping a family find answers, you'll get the cash reward along with two dozen cookies. So, oh. yeah, there's some incentive. Well, where are the cookies from? I'm not sure if they buy them or if, well, I, I'd assume they buy them if they're giving them to people. I don't know. If they're from Crumble, oh. yum. Yeah, Two it'd dozen. be worth it. Those are, really bit, those are really big. It's more like four dozen. Yeah, true. Or like eight dozen because I split my Crumble cookies <laughs> into four. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I looked up the definition of a cold case and it is, quote, an unsolved criminal investigation which remains open pending the discovery of new evidence. And in 2019, 6,644 homicides remained unsolved out of the total 15,449 homicides that year in the United States. So that put us with a 58% clearance rate in 2019, meaning that that year, 58% of those homicides were solved. 42 remained unsolved. And there have been roughly 185,000 homicides unsolved from 1980 to 2008 and according to projectcoldcase.org that rate the rate that homicides are being solved has actually been declining in the past three decades so for example back in 1994 the clearance rate was around 64 percent and that's the year that our case that that our case today begins but it remains a cold case still to this day almost 27 years later and i thought that was crazy that it's actually been declining in how many homicides that they're are solving the cold cases yeah that you would think it would be getting better with the dna that we have and everything yeah i thought so too and then i wondered like are more homicides and stuff being reported and like put in the systems like huh. is there like maybe there's better systems so like more homicides are actually going into the data maybe True. i don't there's know lots of things like that that can skew it yeah but i just thought that was interesting because i would have expected it the clearance rate to have gone up like you said with the dna and all of that stuff yeah or maybe they put a lot of people behind bars that shouldn't have been back then i don't know i'm sure there's a lot of like things that could go into it. And cold cases are really devastating for families because they're waiting for answers while all the leads dry up. Their loved one's case remains open but isn't being actively worked on daily. And that's because investigators have tracked down each lead with no success. And a cold case's hope lies in just a sliver of new information being brought forward. Something that can give a family the answers they've been waiting for. Well, real fast, just yeah. like a cold case is my worst nightmare. Yeah, because it would like, drive you crazy. Yeah, because yeah. you obviously would want to know what happened or you would assume this or that happened and it would just be so sad. Yeah, it would be like devastating if you were the family of a person. It's just even when we learn about these cases, like all these people that learn about these things that aren't even connected to it, it like drives us all crazy. Like we want to know what happened to these people. So I can't imagine right. how the it's family It's nice feels. to get the ending of the story. Yeah. Rather and than like, like know well, where they we are. We just don't know. 
Yeah. But it's going to be like your car. You just, uh, it's just hard to solve some of these things. It's really sad. And so, yeah, that's why cold cases are definitely important to talk about because if there was just one thing that got brought forward that could help in the investigation, then, you know, those are the little things that solve cases like one person deciding yeah, that they want to say something. Yeah, this story coming up, I saw it like they were did a news story on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. just a couple years ago with like a little update. Well, so, even this this year. Oh, they did. Yeah, I heard yeah. they're pretty good now about doing like a yearly media on this case. Yeah. So do you know like family, a lot about it? Not a ton, but I just it you showed that. that her family was like doing a service project in her name, like cleaning up How around cool. the trail. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I didn't see that. So that like really does tie in around the trail where they like nearby where her car's found probably. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So with that, we'll jump back into 1994. Bobby Ann Campbell was celebrating Christmas with her daughter, Stephanie Campbell, and she was excited to make Christmas special for a little girl who was just five years old and in the thick of believing in all the Christmas magic. Bobby was super excited. She was so excited that she wakes Stephanie up at two in the morning and she's like, okay, get up, get your grandparents up. It's time to celebrate Christmas. Whoa, that is too early. Two in the morning. She's like, uh, you, we're doing this. Yeah, even Stephanie. I remember I used to tell you kids, like, you cannot wake up or come get us until seven. Yeah. I get my kids at like nine because my kids sleep in really good. <laughs> so my my in-laws will be like, what time should we come over for Christmas morning? I'm like, how about like nine? They're always like, well, will they sleep in? I'm like, yes, they'll be fine. <laughs> I'm not getting oh up at 6 a.m. for Christmas. <laughs> So 2 a.m., obviously way early. Even Stephanie, who was just five years old, is like, really? It's the middle of the night. Santa hasn't even come to our house yet. But she gets her up. She wants her to open all of her presents. Bobby's grandparents had actually helped her out that Christmas by giving her $200 to splurge on her daughter. And she was really over the moon to give Stephanie a big Christmas. Stephanie opened up a Super Nintendo that her and Bobby played for the rest of the day. And it was a really special Christmas celebration. Bobby hadn't only spent that money on her daughter, but she also made sure to buy everyone in her family a little Christmas gift. She was just really excited to be able to have a little extra money, that money her grandma gave her to give to others that year because you see Bobby had a rough childhood and a rough few years as a young single mom. Unfortunately, Bobby grew up in her mother's care and it wasn't a happy life. Her dad had left and started over with a new wife taking over the role of step take wow, taking on the role of stepdad to her three kids and that is the family he decided to focus on. So Bobby had never met her sibling, her step siblings up until she was an adult and they were younger than her still in high school by the time she comes around and she had never wanted to come because she didn't get along with her dad. But once she grew close with the siblings, she also fell in love with her stepmom, Diane. Now going back to her growing up with her mom, well, Bobby's mom was trying to juggle her drug addiction and being a mother at the same time, but the two didn't really go hand in hand. On top of that, her mom was angry, always taking her frustrations out on Bobby. 
So she lived through her childhood being abused emotionally and physically. At one point, her mom gets so upset with Bobby that she tries to shove her out of a window that's on a third story. Like they're on the third story of this building. So clearly yeah, not a great mom. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, not a I've, good I've, mom. I've had to pull your hair before when. <laughs> oh, you we can were see it as tum- being being getting upset <laughs> enough to do it <laughs> when when we were tumbling down the stairs. Oh yeah, we've we've gotten in some fights, but I was a pretty like really I was a pretty rude teenager to you, so I don't think that was <laughs> entirely your um, judgment. <laughs> I don't know, uh, but yeah, this is obviously. Not a no, great situation. I was teasing, but sometimes, I know. you know, you do want to push your teenager out the window. But, I mean, <laughs> I don't think thought, you really do but it. But you don't ever actually do those <laughs> things. Exactly. So when Bobby gets pregnant around the age of 19, her mom flips out and ends up kicking her out, which honestly, it sounds like Bobby needed an escape from her mom anyway. And they had been living in Wyoming when she's kicked out. And this is when she makes her way down to Utah to move in with her maternal grandparents in Draper, Utah. Okay, so her mom and dad got divorced or like weren't together and her Mm -hmm. dad focused on his new family. Yeah. So she didn't really. He was the stepdad. He's the stepdad to that family. Three stepkids. Yeah. And he's just like focusing on that. It sounds like she really didn't go to see him much at all I think she went there a little bit in the summers but she just didn't like him very much and then when she became an adult and did come back to Utah to live with her grandparents she reconnects a little bit meets her step siblings and oh because they were all from there yeah they're all living in Utah as well her dad his steps his step kids and all of that yeah So with this move, Bobby disconnects from Stephanie's dad, so she never really knew who her dad was just until a few years ago. Through DNA, Stephanie discovers who her dad was, but he had died by that point. He had lived in another state all of her life and was never involved, so she didn't really know him. And then when she does like one of those ancestry DNA things, he had died. Her dad. Stephanie's dad so Bobby's daughter oh okay yeah yeah (laughs) yes so Bobby yeah you're like you just said her dad had all these stepkids yeah Yeah, so that's Bobby the mom okay her this case is about yes and then it's her daughter Stephanie because Bobby gets pregnant her mom kicks her out and then she moves in with her grandparents and never is involved with Stephanie's dad again And it's just now here within the last few years that Bobby's daughter, Stephanie, found out who her dad was. He had already died by that point. So she, of course, never connected with him. Yeah. That's too bad. Yeah. She like really, she seems like very grateful for her great grandparents who are really the ones who take over and end up raising her from the time she's five on. That's who she considers like her mom and dad by that point. Her great, her great grandparents, yeah, because they lived with Bobby's Bobby's. grandparents, yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep, wow, yeah, crazy. So, this is how Bobby and Stephanie end up in Utah living with Bobby's grandparents through the next five years. It doesn't seem that they lived with the grand in the grandparents' home like the entire time, 
Bobby had friends in Salt Lake City and she was often there as well. I know at one point she lived in some apartments in Murray, Utah. And when it came time for Stephanie to start kindergarten in the fall of 1994, Bobby gives Stephanie the choice, asking her if she would rather start school in Salt Lake City or in Draper. And Stephanie chooses Draper. So they officially move back in with Bobby's grandparents so that Stephanie can start kindergarten. And while Bobby might not have had all of her ducks in a row and she was struggling through being a young mom, she did always put Stephanie first. She wanted to make sure that her daughter had a childhood better than hers. Stephanie remembers how much her mom loved her. They did art and coloring all day and Bobby always made sure to take Stephanie everywhere with her. They attended this drum circle every Sunday. They went camping and fishing. Stephanie would even go with her mom to some of the jobs she worked, like when she picked up shifts at the zoo. So Bobby worked for SOS staffing and basically could pick up shifts at all sorts of different businesses. So she's not working for one specific job. She's like getting hired out to different positions through this SOS staffing. And Stephanie told the Vanished podcast by Wondry that when she picked up shifts at the Hogel Zoo, it would be after hours. And sometimes she would bring Stephanie along to like clean cages, feed animals. And that was just really fun for her. And Mm. yeah, so Bobby as a mom is really trying. She loves her daughter more than anything. And this is what really made that Christmas so special. She was finally able to give her daughter the Christmas she deserved. But no one knew that it would be the last Christmas they spent with Bobby Campbell. On December 27th, 1994, Bobby loads up some laundry sitting in a blue basket into the back of her car. Well, she's actually driving her grandpa's car. It's a blue Chevy Nova. She had just finished folding the laundry as her and Stephanie were getting ready to leave the home. Bobby wanted to spend a few days with her friends to continue celebrating the holiday season. And she asks her grandma if she has a bit of gas money because she just put everything she had into that Christmas. So her grandma hands her her a $10 bill. And with that, Bobby and Stephanie are headed to Salt Lake City for the next few days to stay with Bobby's friends. And this is something that they did often. Bobby's friends always opened up their home and let the girls stay with them for a few days. So they make it to Salt Lake City that day. Bobby rushes Stephanie inside her friend's house. And this is a woman named Jewel. And she asks Jewel if she can watch Stephanie real quick while she runs to pick up a paycheck. And then she will go grab some groceries before heading back to the house. Jewel says, of course, but Stephanie didn't love the idea. She wanted to stay with her mom, so she bursts into tears. And then she watches as her mom leaves Jewel's house with a guy named Tony, a guy that Stephanie believed to be her mom's boyfriend. So she stays up front by the window just crying until she falls asleep. And then when Stephanie wakes up, she's a bit hazy, but immediately she's looking around for her mom because she just took a nap. So obviously her mom should be back by now. But Bobby wasn't back and a confused panic runs through Stephanie's body because Bobby had never left her anywhere for too long. She always picked her up from a sitter on time. So how old was Stephanie at this point? She's five. So this is just two days after that Christmas. Okay. So they have that Christmas. Two days later, they're doing this. And she's five years old, like in the middle of kindergarten. Um, She's on like Christmas break for kindergarten. 
So when Stephanie wakes up, she remembers having this really weird feeling because soon two strangers come to Jules' house and they give her a Lion's King outfit. She felt like she was meant to be distracted with this outfit, but it doesn't take her mind off of her mom not being back yet. She keeps wondering to herself why no one else seems worried. Inside, she was screaming with fear, but everyone kept telling her that her mom would be back soon. And instead of being picked up by her mom, Jewel has one of her own friends come pick up Stephanie and they're like, hey, we're going to take you to Liberty Park and we're going to go look for your mom. So Stephanie is down for this because she really wants to be back with her mom. Again, like she's mis- she was missing her mom since the second her mom left. So she rushes out of the door and off to the park they go. But this adult isn't helping Stephanie look for her mom. They just keep telling her to go play on the playground and that it's... And that's not what Stephanie came here for. She doesn't want to swing or go down the slide. She wants to know where her mom is, and she's asking this person to help her look. That's what they said they were here to do. And by that evening, Stephanie is back at Jules' house, and she's over it. She doesn't want to be in the care of these strangers anymore. She doesn't know where her mom is. She just wants to go home. Back to her grandparents' house, where she could find some comfort with them. But Jewel tells her no, saying, if you can, if you call them, I'll never get to see you again. And Stephanie's thinking to herself that she doesn't really care if she gets to see Jewel again. She wants to go home. Obviously, this would be terrifying for a five-year-old. Like, you can't find yeah, your mom. Not to mention that's kind of weird. That's way weird. Like, if you call them, I'll never see you again. Yeah. It seems sketchy. Her friend knew something was up. Yeah, and I think Stephanie later on in her life, she does believe that everyone in that home or in this complex does know something. Mm-hmm. And we'll kind of get into all of that, but way weird to be like, nope, you'll ne- we'll never see you again. So you actually cannot call your grandparents. Yeah. When she's been pretty much in a panic, I'm sure for hours at this point. And so Stephanie, she just takes things into her own hands. When Jewel is out of the room, she picks up the phone and dials her grandparents home. I'm assuming at this point, it's like, it's obviously 1994. So they probably just had home phones, not cell phones. So once Jewel walked out of the room, Stephanie could just walk over, grab the phone, call her grandparents. That's pretty smart for a five-year-old. I know. I'm trying yeah. to think. Do most know their home phone numbers by then? I think it's hard to say at like in this day because there's like no home phone numbers. I know, but do like Charlie doesn't know my phone number, but yeah, I never I was gonna tell say, her. Does it. Charlie know your cell phone? No, she just has that little watch that can like call me. So I don't think like yeah. she's never been in a situation where she has to know it. But I do feel like. I knew so many people's numbers when I was little. I don't know if it was when I was five, but like I remember when you have a home phone, you have a lot of numbers memorized. Yeah, but then the fact that she could do it, like just go pick it up and do it. Yeah, So, but she did. So she just walks over to the phone. She picks it up. She calls her grandparents and they are able to talk to Jewel once Stephanie makes contact with them. Jewel had no choice but to get on the phone and then she gives them her address and they speed to Salt Lake City from Draper to pick up their granddaughter, which is what, about a 20 minute drive from Draper to Salt Lake? Yeah. 
By the time Stephanie's great-grandparents, Bobby's grandparents, get to Jewel's house, Jewel is freaking out. And she's telling them that they actually cannot take Stephanie because Bobby took Jewel's last $50 for groceries. And she's being so ridiculous about this $50 that Bobby's grandma just gives Jewel the $50 and covers the cost of whatever she's saying. You know, Bobby took this money for groceries. It's all the money I had. And Bobby's grandpa, Lester Dixon, he's asking everyone questions, trying to get an answer as to where Bobby went. By this time, even Tony is back at Jules, but everyone is saying they don't know what happened to Bobby. She just hasn't come back. And remember, Stephanie had seen Tony walk out with Bobby. So it's just odd that now he's back, but Bobby's not. Mm -hmm. And... Immediately, Grandpa Lester makes contact with the police, trying to report his granddaughter as missing, but of course, they refuse the report. They're like, don't worry, you'll be able to find her, just come back tomorrow. But tomorrow comes, and they still say they can't take the report. Wait a week. Oh, I a know. week? A week. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I know. It's like, no, that's too long. When someone's missing, it's got to be right away. Mm. So it's one week later. And Grandpa Lester's back, but they tell him they still can't take the report. Now he's pissed, and that doesn't sit well with the officers. They actually threaten to arrest him. And he's like, great, arrest me, but take the freaking report. My granddaughter is missing. And (laughs) thankfully, that somehow works, and they do finally take the missing person's report for Bobby Ann Campbell. They're saying all the things we always hear in these cases. She's an adult. She has the right to be missing. Even if we find her, we don't have to tell you where she is. Which, But like, it's like she wouldn't leave her kid. Exactly. That's always the hard things because I literally have heard these phrases so much in different podcasts I've listened to. Like, well, she is an adult or like they have the right to go missing. It's like, sure, they do have the right to go missing. But usually a family sort of knows their person. Like they know if it's someone who often runs off or if it's someone who often doesn't make contact or leaves their kid behind. But when she's been... Does it hurt to start investigating it early? Yeah. Exactly. It's like, and who cares if she did go missing on purpose? Like you can use the resources. Yeah, and who cares if she shows up in a couple days? Yeah. Then she shows up. (laughs) Exactly. Like I don't care if you use my tax dollars to investigate people who have purposely gone missing at least you're looking for them so you don't you don't miss it when it is not someone who did this on purpose you know yeah yeah Yeah. it's frustrating but on the flip side ben pender of the united police of the unified police department in the greater salt lake area did say there was confusion surrounding this missing persons report. So he was also interviewed on the Vanished podcast by Wondry. And he says that the police who met with Grandpa Lester a week after Bobby's disappearance were unaware of the initial calls to report Bobby missing. And this ultimately leads to tension. At least today in 2022, Officer Pender says that they don't believe Bobby left her daughter behind, and he does feel that foul play was involved. Now, I don't know if Ben was there in 1994 or if he's like looking at like case notes and stuff from then. 
because he's yeah. he's working it now. So that was kind of his take on the whole thing. And remember, it is in 1994, and I feel like it's only recently that the stigma has been broken for waiting, like, the 24, 48, 72 hours or whatever, because everyone talks about it now, and it's like, don't wait that long. Just get on it. Exactly. Like I said, what will it hurt? Exactly. It can't hurt anything. And if you find them, great. Great. If they're just out partying, great. You found them. I, I don't think it hurts anything, but... I don't know. I'm not a police yeah, officer. It's probably a money issue. Yeah. Maybe a staffing issue. I don't know. Now, they actually aren't able to officially report Bobby as missing until January 7th, 1995. So Bobby actually goes missing on December 27th, 1994, and she's reported missing that next month about 10 days later. And I just say this because I found a lot of sources that said she went missing on January 7th. 1995 but that's not the case that's just when they take the report so okay grandpa lester is just thankful that the police even take the report he knows something is wrong because bobby would never just leave stephanie behind and stephanie knew something was wrong too winter break had ended by this point and stephanie was back in class her grandparents told her not to say anything to her peers just keep what's going on to yourself But Stephanie was crumbling inside. She was crying every day, just wishing she could see her mom. And it does seem weird that they wouldn't want her to talk about it. But Stephanie said they were just born in a different time period where they were taught not to talk about like family issues or feelings. She says when Bobby went missing, they just kind of packed up all of Bobby's stuff. They put it into storage, just waiting for Bobby to return home. And they just didn't want it discussed a lot. Yeah kind of secretive proud yeah which i do feel like that 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 could totally be a different like a generational thing like a different Mm -hmm. time period type thing just like what they felt was appropriate so it seems weird but it probably she says like they were really great people yeah 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 So Bobby's grandpa, he had recently retired. So finding her becomes his number one priority. He drives around daily searching for her. He's putting in long hours looking for leads, like full eight hour days. And at one point, Bobby even has a court appearance scheduled and that's in January of 1995. So just after she's reported missing. And her grandpa goes to the courthouse the second that the courthouse is opened, and he doesn't leave until it's closed. He was desperate to find her, but she never showed up. Officer Pender says there was more confusion surrounding this court date. Apparently, some officers believe that Bobby did show up to her court appearance, and this made them lean in harder to the idea that she may not be, like, missing with foul play. Which I thought so that was, it was recorded that she did show. It wasn't recorded that she did show. He just said some officers were confused and thought she did. So take that with a grain of salt. That's just what he said. I yeah, don't know if that's in that the sounds reports. odd. Yeah. Now, do we know why she had court? Yeah, actually, I do. I didn't write it down here, but when I was listening to that podcast, I'm pretty sure he, Officer Pender, when he's saying that there's this confusion, it was because she had a traffic violation or ticket or something 
and he said the officer said okay let's just follow up with that traffic violation she'll come to court and then apparently some of them think she did Hmm. everyone in the home is broken stephanie and her great-grandparents had to continue on with their lives but they're worried sick every day bobby's grandparents take on the role of raising stephanie kind of like how we talked about earlier they loved her they made her feel safe and you know they really got her through this tragedy of losing her mom they have both passed away now never finding answers in their granddaughter's disappearance and by june of 1995 stephanie had finished up kindergarten it's in august of 1995 that a clue arrives in the mail just before stephanie is set to start first grade Bobby's grandparents open up a ticket that had been issued to that blue Chevy Nova. Remember, this is the car Bobby was driving when she disappeared. It's registered in her grandpa's name. The ticket Mm -hmm. was issued because the car was in a no parking zone at the fairgrounds. So Grandpa Lester is on this tip immediately. He drives to the address written on the ticket, but he can't find anything. You know, he looks around, he's searching for the car, He's like, can't really pinpoint where they're saying his car is. And the address doesn't exist. They had actually written it incorrectly. But thankfully, by September of 1995, a second ticket had been sent via mail, this time with the correct address, and the car is located. It was parked in a little circle area near a wildlife, like a wildlife area, like a reservation, a wildlife refuge thing. And... This, the Jordan River runs along this area. This was an area known for drug deals and prostitution. There's a jogging trail nearby that is just trashed, which sounds like is what you were saying they were doing. They were cleaning up this trail in her name, like honor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. Because as you can see, it was described as being like littered with trash. There's a bunch of stuff in the river like just thrown into the river in this area. It's just like not a great spot. Which like, Well, I think that they have had a lot of bodies go missing in there. Yeah, the recently, river. right? Mm-hmm. I was going to kind of like mention that, like side note. Well, first I saw a TikTok video, which again, like TikTok's TikTok. So who knows how much you can believe from that. But it was saying like, oh, there's this active serial killer in Utah. They're have been like 40 plus bodies found in the Jordan River and these people interviewed all these homeless people down there in Salt Lake and they were saying like yeah all these bodies have been found but no one's doing anything and it sounds like homeless people are being killed I don't actually think it's like 40 bodies I think what Shannon said there was like three bodies found in the Jordan River Mm -hmm. and did it what, what were those also tied back to like the homeless community down there in Salt Lake I don't know yeah. But that trail, the trail is pretty nice. I mean, now. Now. It's paved and walkers and bikers can go on it. And it like spans across the whole you know, yeah. Wasatch Front. Yeah, I was going to say like odd for a jogging trail to be like so sketch. Because <laughs> like who would yeah, be jogging on it? Yeah, but back then, But right? back in 1994. Yeah. So in well, 1994, this might have. I wonder when they made it. Yeah. I feel like maybe it was back then because that's when right right around when I graduated high school. Yeah. Or maybe it wasn't even a jogging trail at that point. Maybe it was just an area. 
that was yeah. kind of like trashed and littered and then maybe as they made the trail I don't know who knows yeah. I'd have to look it up but yeah so this is that area that's cool that they were cleaning it up so, and this is where the car is found and inside the car Bobby's family finds that laundry in the back Bobby's makeup and the $10 her grandma had given her for gas it was in the glove box and a woman who lived nearby told Bobby's grandpa that in December, the car was just there one morning and it had remained there ever since. And this is the following September. So almost a year later, this woman was like, yeah, this car showed up. It's just been sitting there. And there was something ominous found inside. Under the driver's seat, Bobby's grandpa finds a machete. So like a large knife and his heart sinks. So he calls the police right away and he's like, hey, I found the car Bobby was driving. Can you come get it? But the police are taken back. Like, um, it's your car. What would you want us to do with it? And I mean, for one, you guys could have taken it and like had it forensically examined and maybe like looked for some evidence in the disappearance of a girl who had been missing for nine months at this point. Yeah. But that doesn't happen. Obviously, Grandpa Lester is frustrated, so he just has it towed himself to his property. And he calls the police again, telling them that there is a machete he found inside the car. Do they want it? And it's the same answer as before. What do you want us to do with it? You can get rid of it. Yeah, they obviously didn't care about it. I was going to say, like, if they reported it, you think they would have found it. Yeah. Faster. If they were really looking. If they were looking. But it does seem, I think very early in the beginning, the police start to look at it and through a few things, whether it be confusion or some people they talked to, they ultimately, I think, decide that Bobby was running with a tough crowd and maybe she wasn't missing. Maybe she was just out partying. So I don't think they were looking for the car. I don't think... Yeah. I was going to ask you, like, was there, did her friends, you know, what were her friends like? Yeah. Um, she wasn't, she wasn't with a great crowd that day. And I will get into all of that too. Like I had kind of said, like her ducks weren't all in a row. She was not perfect, but she was trying really hard to be a good mom. Mm-hmm. So it's soon after this that Bobby's grandpa Lester starts to shift his priorities. He had searched diligently for his granddaughter for the past year, but there's only so much one man could do on his own. He was tired and Stephanie needed him. The police weren't taking him seriously and he had exhausted every avenue he could by himself. So now he really dives into taking on the role of Stephanie's guardian and he focuses on being her dad instead of her great grandpa. She describes him as the best dad she could have asked for. Her great-grandparents were 62 years old when they took over the custody of five-year-old Stephanie. Wow, oh, my word. That's crazy. So, uh, yeah, they, they sound like good people. They, like, really took yeah. on something that I don't think you most 62-year-olds want to. Yeah. yeah. You, watched my, you watched Charlie and then my niece, Lindsay, who's the same age at the same time. Your two grandkids, well, two of them. And weren't you, like, so tired after the weekend? She watched them for, like, three days. And by the time I picked them up, she was like, I'm ready for them to go. They've been fighting oh, the whole exhausting. time. It's <laughs> they just... couldn't share. 
<laughs> I mean, and I mean, it'd probably be different if you were raising them as your kid. But yeah. As a grandparent, they like want your attention and want you to do this and that, and you want to play with them. And as a mom, I'd probably be like, yeah, go play, you know, with your toys. And like, I go to your room to for this. a minute. Yeah. yeah. But as a grandparent, you're watching them. You're like, okay. I'm going to do all I'll do whatever you them. say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It is exhausting. Like, I cannot imagine. So they really took on, like, a big task. And then, you know, so they do this. They start focusing more on Stephanie and just raising her. And that's where Bobby's case goes cold. Not that the police were doing much about it in the first place. Bobby's disappearance had received no media attention. She was just gone, and it seemed like nobody outside of their family cared. The first time Bobby Ann Campbell's case was featured in the news was seven years later when Stephanie is in sixth grade. The news coverage brought forward one tip, someone claiming to have seen Bobby at a park in Salt Lake months after her disappearance. But Bobby's grandparents never really believed this. It had been so many years, and we know eyewitness testimony can be so flawed. I mean, I can't even remember what I ate for breakfast this very morning. So <laughs> I just, you know, it didn't feel like a solid lead, and it ends up going nowhere. Stephanie. Yeah. yeah. And Stephanie says that no searches or questioning had ever been done until the news featured Bobby's case. So, of course, by that point, seven years later, no one can remember little details anyway. It's easy for everyone question to be like, oh, that was so long ago, I don't remember. Mm -hmm. So police basically tell Grandpa Lester that she ran with a tough crowd, that she wasn't making the best decisions, and that's what most likely led to her disappearance. She was probably just out partying, doing her own thing. And... Stephanie describes her grandpa as just crying through this entire thing. And when she's older, she's told by those who knew Bobby that she was, in fact, starting to get into some drugs. Initially, she just enjoyed smoking pot, but it's during that last year of her life when she starts to dabble into harder drugs, things like mushrooms and possibly even more. Officer Pender, he does have a slightly different idea of what those early days of the investigation looked like. So he claims that the officers did question witnesses right away and that the questioning continues into the summer of 1997. But they, you know, these leads go nowhere. And I'm not sure if there's any reports of this. If there were, I would assume Stephanie had seen them and wouldn't say there was no questioning. But I don't know. And then he says that this is where the idea Bobby had possibly been seen at a park comes from, which solidifies the officers thinking she's just out and about along with the confusion of the court and the tough crowd and all of that. But it's still like, even if they're on drugs, they still deserve to be found. Like, okay, she runs with a bad crowd. Who cares? Like, she has a daughter. Yeah. People are looking for her. Like, her life matters. Just mm -hmm. go find her. And maybe she yeah. needs help. Maybe she needs pulled out from that group. Or, like, maybe you do find her and she is with this crowd and she is doing drugs. You know, Maybe give her a ticket or arrest her. And, like, maybe yeah. her life could turn around. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm with you. So... Regardless of how the initial investigation went down, we know evidence wasn't collected and a lot of opportunities are missed. 
For years, the case remains cold, and it's not until Stephanie is about 19 years old that she's able to get Bobby's case reopened. She's sick of wondering where her mom is. By this point, she needs answers, and she has never stopped fighting for her mom's case to be solved. Through this fight, Stephanie starts talking with a lot of people who knew her mom, people who could help her paint a picture of who she was. And there are some shocks to Stephanie's system. Now, these years since Stephanie started investigating her mom's case herself have to be such a whirlwind. Something she's told, some of the things she's told are downright absurd, while others are possibly believable. And Stephanie did hire a private investigator, so that is a person that has helped her through the years. I don't know if she hired him right when she's 19. I doubt it, but in the recent years, he's been hired. He's been around. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So let's get into a few things that have been said and just kind of some of the different rumors, I guess. So remember Bobby's mom, the one who was abusive to her, had tried to push her out of a third story window. Well, this woman is named Shanna, and unfortunately, as I said earlier, she struggled with drug abuse. Stephanie felt like the mo- that like most of the stories Shanna wove together were a product of her drug use and very misinformed, which was frustrating to Stephanie because it caused the police to track down leads that were really going not going to go anywhere. So her mom was still around and like in the picture when she went missing years later because she's actually in prison most of the time after. And then years later, she kind of comes around and she has all these stories that she, you know, Stephanie doesn't believe. They're just, like she said, like she brought together through her drug use and stuff like that, like made them up. Yeah. So for most of Stephanie's childhood, her grandma Shanna had been in and out of federal prison. And then, like I said, once she's out, she kind of comes around. She does move in with her parents. So... Those are Bobby's grandparents that she lived with at the time of her disappearance and the ones raising Stephanie. So Stephanie and her grandma Shanna are now living under the same roof. And Stephanie remembers Shanna being abusive to her as well, doing things like burning her with cigarettes. So obviously, again, not a great mom or grandma. Still, Stephanie wanted to talk to Shanna about her mom, Bobby, and Shanna would just go off the rails. While Bobby totally despised her mom, Shanna claims they were close, even saying that Bobby showed up to her house in the months before her disappearance, which she lived in a different state, if I'm recalling correctly, Nevada. And she says that Bobby Wyoming. at this point, she wa- well, she was in Wyoming and then I think she moved. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, and she says that just in the months before Bobby comes to her house out of the state of Utah and she was with a little girl Shanna says she's with a little girl that was another man's daughter and that Bobby was telling Shanna she was really scared because she had seen something she shouldn't have seen but pretty much no one believes this tell because Shanna's husband at the time also has his own crazy story he claims that Bobby had joined a cult down in Colorado and here's the kicker he said he could save her from it Bobby's family just had to give him the money to travel down there and get her. Mm. So they're like, no, we're not giving you money to go down to Colorado. And this husband of Shanna's was also on drugs 
and Stephanie said her grandpa Lester always reassured her that this is not what happened to her mom, telling her that Bobby would have never willingly left Stephanie behind. Through the years, Stephanie has learned that Bobby was, like, for a fact, getting into harder drugs. And that had happened the it, within the year she had before she disappeared. And on that day, Bobby dropped Stephanie off to Jewel to grab her paycheck and get groceries. She was really grabbing her paycheck to go and pick up drugs for her, Jewel, and, a, and another couple that lived in the same complex, Rick and Diane. And remember how Stephanie has a memory of her mom leaving Jewel's home with Tony? Well, she gets in contact with him when she's an adult. Stephanie had believed as a five-year-old that Tony was her mom's boyfriend, and she remembers him being abusive. But when Stephanie talks to him, he denies this, telling Stephanie that she's misremembering. Tony claims that he never dated Bobby, and on that December 27th day, he did not leave with her. He says he had a fight to go to that night. He must have been an aspiring fighter, I don't know. But he just walks Bobby to her car and then continues walking over to this fight. Tony lives in that same complex as Jewel. And in the same breath that he's saying he that this is what happened, he also says he had gotten brain damage during his fight that night. So he actually doesn't remember much. And Stephanie could only talk to Tony over the phone and on Facebook Messenger because he received so many charges here in the United States that he was deported and is unable to return. Oh. Yeah. That's bad. So he's not even here. His story is iffy at best because he remembers he wasn't, he didn't go with Bobby, but he also had brain damage, so he doesn't remember anything. Who knows? And it didn't seem like Stephanie believed him at all because she told the Vanished podcast that she had written him many sob emails trying to get him to change his story, but he's sticking with what I just told you. Now, Stephanie tracks down Jewel, the woman who was literally watching her at the time her mom goes missing, and the one who sent her off with the stranger to go search for her mom. But it's a dead end because years after Bobby's disappearance, Jewel had died due to an overdose of heroin. Mm. Yeah. So what about Rick and Diane, Jewel's neighbors who supposedly gave money to Bobby that day for drugs? Stephanie finds them and finds out that shortly after Bobby's disappearance, they moved out of state. They're not together anymore, and they tell Stephanie that they truly believe Bobby just left that day on her own free will and didn't return to get her daughter. So none of them really lead Stephanie anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. They're just, they're not reliable sources. No, but it sounds like they were all kind of using yeah they were like not in a great place at the time that bobby goes missing Mm -hmm. so maybe they are misremembering maybe they know more i don't know so there's another theory that has been thrown around and that is that bobby's own brother had something to do with her disappearance bobby and this brother hadn't grown up together so she grew up alone with shanna while she actually had a brother, 
between her mom, Shanna, and her biological dad, the one who becomes the stepdad to those three kids. And that brother moves with the dad. Basically, through their entire time growing up, he's abusive to her. And when she moves to Utah as an adult, he starts stalking Bobby. Stephanie remembers being terrified of him because one day he breaks into Bobby's apartment and Stephanie watches him beat her mom up before he steals her food stamps. What Stephanie didn't know as a young girl was that Bobby's brother had also raped her. Not Stephanie, but Bobby, his own sister. So. Oh. Yeah. And like I said, like. Not good. Yeah, Bobby and Stephanie didn't always live with their grandparents. So this is during one of the times she's living in an apartment of her own. And he does all this stuff. Stephanie literally witnesses it. And he's obviously just not a great person, a bad person. He was known mm-hmm. to follow Bobby around through her adult years. So is there any chance he made contact with her on that December 27th day? It's definitely possible, but her disappearance has never been tied to him. Now, here's something that completely threw Stephanie for a loop when she starts digging. Bobby actually had a second child, a son, and that was after she had Stephanie, but she gives him up for adoption. She was already struggling as a single mom, and her grandparents told her that they could not help her with two children. It was just too much. Her friend Leah, yeah, crazy, right? Mm -hmm. So when she was living in Murray, Utah, in some apartments, she made friends with a girl named Leah, a girl named Jody. They all just, you know, became friends. They all lived in this complex. Their kids played together. And Leah thinks that this led Bobby into a depression. Leah herself had given up a child for adoption, and when Bobby visits her in the hospital, she tells Leah that she's going to regret giving her child away. This is believed to be one of the reasons that Bobby starts getting into drugs, trying to cope with the pain. Stephanie said it must have been so hard on her mom because she brought her son home for one night, and it's the following day that she hands him over to his adoptive family. So she spends a full Mm. night with him, and that would be so hard and I think it sounds like she didn't necessarily want to give him up for adoption but really had no option because she wouldn't have been able to live with her grandparents she couldn't care for her kids without their support so she does this and it just throws her into a really deep depression now that same friend Leah says that in the days leading up to Bobby's disappearance she receives a phone call from Bobby and it shook her to the core. Bobby was screaming about how they were trying to kill her. Leah said she was hysterical. And then Leah keeps asking Bobby who they were and where she is. But eventually, Bobby calms down, never telling Leah where she is. And then she says to ignore what she said because she was just too high. So who knows if Um. she really was just too high or if it was something more But it kind of like solidifies the fact that she was using leading up to her disappearance and is really like, um, like surrounded by this crowd of people. Uh huh. So Stephanie says that as a kid, she couldn't differentiate if her mom was high or not. You know, she's five years old. She doesn't really understand drugs at that point. But she does remember there was a clear difference between her mom at home and her mom with her friends. Mm. And here comes another shock. 
another thing that Stephanie had no clue of until she starts digging into the circumstances surrounding her mom's disappearance as an adult. Bobby had gotten married less than a year before she disappeared, but almost no one knew. The marriage certificate was actually found in Bobby's belongings, but she told her friend Kristen that no one could find out, especially her grandma, because her new husband was in jail. Mm. Yeah. So really almost no one knew besides a few close friends. Stephanie didn't know. Her grandparents didn't know. She just marries this guy in jail. And Kristen, he, she was worried about this guy once she hears of Bobby's disappearance because Bobby had told her that she was really worried he was about to get out of jail soon. She thought he would like find her and find the people she had been hanging out with. She just said like a few alarming things that concerned her. But the police had re- had told her in more recent years that he checked out and he was actually still in jail at the time of her disappearance. And they tell Stephanie that same thing. But Stephanie is able to make contact with him. His name is Dave Chapman. And he says that they really never lived together, which makes sense because Stephanie doesn't remember ever living with him. The way that Bobby and Dave had met each other is pretty crazy. I don't know if that's the right word, but Bobby had this boyfriend named Patrick and he was also using drugs. Stephanie actually remembers something about him. And what she remembers is that Patrick broke in, broke down their door in their apartment. He stabbed her mom in the shoulder. He came in trying to hurt Stephanie and Bobby, stabs her, but they get away. They call the police and Patrick kills himself that night. Oh, yeah. So like very traumatic, obviously for Stephanie, for Bobby, for everybody. And then Dave, her husband, later, is Patrick's best friend. So she connects with Dave after, and she says that they fall in love. And they end up just getting married, but she doesn't want to tell anyone. Probably, she told her friend Kristen because he was in jail, because Kristen said she had no idea who it was. But I almost wonder if she didn't want to tell anyone because it is this guy Patrick's best friend this guy who had attacked her yeah that's and patrick was one of her ex-boyfriends an ex okay yeah so he comes to her apartment after they're broken up breaks in tries to kill her then takes his own life jeez Uh, yeah she it sounds like she was just all the people she was around were kind of a mess Yeah, it is. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of good situations going on around her. And Stephanie remembers like her having a lot of boyfriends and always getting beat up and abused. So like, you know, we've kind of discussed, she wasn't perfect. She did want to be a great mom. I do think Stephanie was in some of these situations that probably were not great. Obviously, very traumatic, but she at least felt like her mom really loved her and she didn't really understand all of this stuff when she was little. Yeah. Of course, always random tips from people who are just 
wanting to get involved with the case, people that are annoying. There was a random tip from someone that Bobby grew up with over in Wyoming, and she calls in and is like, yeah, Bobby called the radio station I work for, and she just told us she ran away. Which is like, why Why do you have to get involved? Like, that's obviously not true. Yeah. She didn't call you at the radio station you work for. Like, why are you saying that? I don't get it. Uh-huh. Like, it's rude. Like, attention they want. Yeah. Like, you getting attention is not more important than having facts correct in a case. Don't send, like... Don't put it in police officers' heads that like, oh, you're on the right track. She called me and she ran away. Like, no, Mm -hmm. she didn't. She did not call you. But then this one really got me. There is a serial killer, Wayne Ford, and he had his girlfriend reach out to Stephanie on Facebook and tell her that Wayne is the one who killed her mom. Mm. Which, A, why do you have a girlfriend who's dating you when you're <laughs> a serial like. killer? Like, what? <laughs> I f- yeah. freaking hate people who like murders and date them. I know. It's so weird. You, obviously, they have something wrong with themselves. It's disgusting. There's even, like, I've Carly showed me, my sister showed me a lot of videos on TikTok where, you know, they're, like, showing a video of a murder and all these comments will be like oh he's so hot oh he's so hot it's like ew like stop doing that like don't romanticize serial killers and like they're not cool they're no they're really gross and disgusting and they're not hot no they are not hot ted bundy was not hot who no zach efron is just hot and he played Ten Bud- Ted Bundy, unfortunately. <laughs> so don't tie Zac Efron's looks into you <laughs> thinking Ted Bundy was actually hot. It's like, yes, Zac Efron, hot. Ted Bundy, not. Yeah. Don't connect the two just because he played the role. I've heard it way too much since that movie came out. Ted Bundy was so hot. No, Zac Efron's hot, not Ted Bundy. <laughs> Oh my gosh. But yeah, so this guy literally has his girlfriend reach out to Stephanie, tells her he's the one that killed her mom. And Stephanie really believed it was him for a while. Like, I mean, she's thinking to herself, why would he reach out to me? Why would he say he did it? He was like a serious predator. He was convicted of murdering four women in 1997 and 1998. He targeted hitchhikers and sex workers and he raped and mutilated his victims. Thankfully, police are able to investigate this lead. She says they take this lead seriously, but it is determined he was not the one who- In the area. Yeah, is involved with her mom's disappearance or anything, like it's not possible. So I, mm. that threw me for a loop because mm. I was just like, what? I know you hear a lot of serial killers doing that, kind of saying that they did the murder. I know. And then it's like, the but they really didn't. Yeah. I think, like, they're in prison for life, and they're probably just bored. They want to find yeah. a way to, like, terrorize people on the outside. Mess with people, yeah. So, like, what can I do? But then that girlfriend, like, again, A, why are you dating a serial killer? And B, why are you helping him? message people on Facebook. (laughs) Don't do that. That is Uh, crazy. Yeah. Very odd. So are there theories around like Jewel or Tony? 
sort of. So, and that's kind of where the final and most recent theory kind of leads us because there is a woman in the most like the most recent claim is this woman who comes forward to Bobby and the private investigator and she said not to Bobby to Stephanie and the private investigator and she says that Bobby goes to a party and someone gives her a hot shot which I have no idea what that is do you know what a hot shot is no I don't either, but it seems that it's some sort of concoction that you shoot up with a needle, which Stephanie and others have found strange because through everyone she talked to, although her mom was dabbling into harder drugs, everyone said she was scared of needles. She never wanted to use needles. She would like decline that all the time. So it was uncharacteristic of Bobby to be shooting any drugs up using a needle Mm. so you know a lot of her acquaintances acquaintances told stephanie that if she was given this hot shot it was probably by force now Mm. this woman says when this happens everyone panics i don't know if bobby just like passes out or whatnot she just says after this hot shot's given everyone panics so they take Bobby. Yeah, it says it's a mixture of heroin and a more pow- powerful opioid, like okay. fentanyl, or which Ugh. makes it like really yeah. highly dangerous. So yeah, like maybe she OD'd. Yeah. Yes, and, and this thought. this is the theory that Stephanie believes the most, and it is what you're saying that like she OD'd with these people. Yeah. And they got rid of the body. They didn't want to tell because they'd get in trouble for, for doing drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. And this is what Stephanie says she believes the most. It's probably what makes the most sense to me as well. But we don't know, you know. So yeah. this woman says that everyone panics. They roll Bobby into a rug. And she's she's telling this, but she's saying, well, I wasn't there. This is just a rumor I heard. So she calls all these years later. She's like, I wasn't there. This is what I heard happen to your mom. And she says that she heard they, this group of people puts the rug with Bobby's body inside into an attic. And then she says that, that the smell got so bad, they had to take her out of the attic. They had no choice. But Stephanie says when this woman is telling her the smell got so bad, she said the look on her face told Stephanie that she was there like she knew the smell like when she said the smell was so bad the lady looked like she just knew what that smelled like oh so stephanie just felt like she was telling her something she actually did know happened because then through her story stephanie said like you know the whole time she's saying she wasn't there but then she'd be like there was a fence right there or like there was this because they meet up with her so you know she's saying she's not there she probably was so they Uh take the body and the rug out of the attic and they dump her body into the Jordan River. The woman the woman meets up with Stephanie and she shows her where they tossed Bobby's body into the river and it is right next to where Bobby's car was found and everything was inside of Bobby's car except the keys which we'll get to in a minute. This woman 
is does was actually there so she hands all this information over to the police and they bring this woman in for questioning but when they bring her in she won't repeat any of that story so to police she says nope i have no idea oh that's too bad yeah it is But Stephanie and her private investigator are able to start doing some searches around the Jordan River. And this is probably, well, I was going to say this is probably the news story you saw. But this is in 2019. So just a couple of years ago or a few years ago. And they start magnet fishing. So I assume that means putting magnets in, looking for stuff. And Uh then there's also volunteers that start diving. Through this search of the Jordan River, Stephanie said her anxiety is at an all-time high. She's throwing up during the river search. It was just like a lot for her and like really took her back to that time. Uh And there was a lot found in the river. They're not sure if it's all connected to her mom, but there was a pair of earrings found. There was a rolled up carpet, Chevy keys, a jacket, a hat, and 100 bullet casings a shopping cart, all this stuff. But a few of those things sound like they connect to this case, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Stephanie said they find all these things, but the only things she really feels are tied to her mom's case are the rolled up carpet, because that ties directly to the most recent story. Yeah. The most recent like suggestion of what happened. And then the earrings may have tied to her. They, There was an acquaintance of Bobby's that was at the search, and he said they seemed like earrings Bobby would have been wearing. So the Utah Cold Case Coalition, they take the earrings in as evidence to their volunteer lab. So not the police, but the Cold Case Coalition take them in just to see if they can find anything. And then she also believes that the Chevy keys were tied to her mom because they're an old Chevy car's keys. And that's the one thing that was not found inside Bobby's car, uh-huh. which it sounds right to me. Chevy Nova. Yeah. Yeah. So but there was, you know, no other remains found or anything like that. And unfortunately, the cops came and they took the 100 bullet casings And they took those into evidence, but they didn't take anything else into evidence. So they didn't take the carpet into evidence. Mm. They didn't take the keys. I know. So they say they're actively investigating it. Or bones, right? I mean, bones are not magnetic. But if they had divers, I mean, so I those bones could be buried. Exactly. And I read on that news coverage in 2019 when they say there's these new leads and a cold case, like maybe they'll lead somewhere. The diver says that the body obviously would have disintegrated at this point. It's been, I mean, she went missing in 1994. I was born in 1995. So she has been missing my entire life more than my entire life so that like gives you an idea for how long she's really been gone so obviously she'd disintegrate and then she would not be rolled up in that carpet anymore if that was you know something she was in and then he said the same thing like they would be looking for bones at this point but they would not all be together most likely and whatnot he also said that it's extremely hard to find things in the water i think one of his quotes on there was like 
it's much harder to find things in water than it is on land. And I was like, yeah, I, that seems like, yeah, common sense to me. I think so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And he said, especially when it's like muggy, dirt, dirty water and that the Jordan river is, I mean, it's a river, Mm -hmm. so it's stirring up stuff, all of that. And that's just sort of where the case lies. It's been cold all of this time. None of those things in 2019 have clearly led us to a conclusion in this case. Stephanie is still hoping for one, still fighting for her mom. She did say that since that river search, she had been like taken back so much emotionally that she's really tried to focus on herself and being a mom while still trying to keep her mom's case at, like she wants to keep her mom's case at the front of people's minds, but she also has to kind of take a step back because she was doing so much for all of those years. They should have taken the keys to see if there was a Chevy Nova. Yeah, I know. I know. Like you could find that out, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and then I the mean, only even thing after that's curious is um, like they found her car, but there was a machete. A machete. That's kind of weird. Or did someone like plant it to make it look like it was that? Like she got kidnapped or something. Like that could lead you down so many rabbit holes. Like is that how she was? Well, if she was, she's missing. But, you know, if it ended up being a homicide is, was that weapon used? Or yeah, did they put it in there later to make it seem like, oh, maybe she got robbed. Like, Uh I don't know. Yeah, it's really sad. I feel super sad for Stephanie. Like to think of a five-year-old watching their mom leave. She already didn't want her to go. She's crying and then her mom never comes back. Yeah. That's devastating. So hopefully for Stephanie, she can find answers in her mom's case one day. If you know anything about the disappearance of Bobby Campbell, please help Stephanie figure out what happened to her mom. There are multiple phone numbers you can contact and there's ways you can do it anonymously. And remember, the Cold Case Coalition has a reward offered for every cold case. So you might just get something out of it if you're able to give any helpful information please contact the Unified Police Department at 385-468-9811. You can also contact private investigator Marky Davis, 801-719-9494, as well as the Utah Missing Persons tip line at 435-266-1231. Bobby Ann Campbell was 24 years old when she went missing. Today, she'd be in her 50s. It has been almost 27 years since she was last seen. Stephanie has been searching for answers all of this time. Her height was five foot, one inches tall. She weighed 105 pounds. She had blonde hair and green eyes. If you know anything about her, like I said, please get in contact with the Unified Police Department, the private investigator, or the missing tip line. 
Thanks for listening and sharing all of our episodes with your friends, your family, everybody who asks you about a podcast and you let them know that you love True Crime Exposed. Uh, You know who your hosts are. Our palate cleanser is given to us by the cutest Charlie Waters. Make sure to follow us on social, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Our website is truecrimeexposedpodcast.com. Hi, I'm Charlie Waters, and today I'm going to be doing a palate cleanser. And this time it's going to be about how flowers grow. When the seed is planted, an embryo inside the seed starts to grow into a seedling. Then the roots grow down to hold the plants in place. And those same roots take food and water up to the plant. Then a shoot grows and develops into a stem. That's what takes the water and food to the rest of the plant. And boom, you have flowers. Bye. Hope you have a great day or night. Going along with our episode today, I'm going to highlight the Utah Cold Case Coalition. You can find them on Facebook. They also have a email. You can email them at coldcasecoalition.com at gmail.com. They have a phone number 385-258-3313 and you can visit coldcasehelp.com. You can visit their website and see what they're all about, what they do. Like I said earlier in this episode, they're the reason that every case, every cold case in Utah has a reward offered and I think that's pretty cool. This month of August, they are doing cold case month so they've got all sorts of things going on and I highly encourage you to join their Facebook to see what they're all about.